Good morning, church. How are we doing? Hasn't it been brilliant this morning already to hear the youth having a fantastic time, to hear about salvation coming? If you're not going whoop inside, you're dead. Um, It's just been fantastic. Um, And it fits in so well with uh, what I'm speaking on this morning because it's my pleasure to continue our um, sermon series in Acts, looking at releasing the gospel. First slide, Maggie, please. Thank you very much. Um, So we are continuing where Will left off uh, last week, uh, Acts chapter 2. Last week, uh, Will spoke and we saw the Holy Spirit being released upon the disciples in the upper room. And they've gone out into the streets in his power, full of his spirit. There is the crackle of electricity in the air. There is wonder and amazement in the crowd as each begin hearing the disciples speaking in their own language. All wondering what this could mean. And then Peter stands up. Peter, who not two months earlier was denying Jesus. Peter, who not two months earlier was cowering in fear somewhere while his best friend was tortured and killed, who even after seeing the empty tomb that first day of the week was still hiding behind locked doors, this man, now full of the Spirit, just look at the difference the Holy Spirit makes in his life, stands up in front of the crowd and begins to speak. We're going to join the story in verse 14. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and answered the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, no, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days... God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Fellow Israelites, indeed, listen to this. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But, (laughs) but God raised him from the dead. But God raised him from the dead. That's better. Come on, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices 
My body also will rest in hope because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. He was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool of your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, who you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Amen. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Oh man, what a sermon. What a preach. I can sit down. No, not quite. <laughs> this morning, my theme is releasing the gospel. And I wonder if you can remember when you first heard the glorious news, when you first heard the gospel or, or when it first became meaningful for you. My husband, Matthew, who's leading the service today, and I, we've had this conversation quite often in the past because um, he was blessed to have been brought up in a Christian home, whereas, um, and, and therefore, you know, really nothing ever different, whereas I wasn't. So um, I, I can very clearly remember kind of before and after I met Jesus kind of moment. And we often remark how, I'm not sure jealous is the right word, but yeah, how jealous we are of each other. Um, Matthew often says it's hard to know what you've been saved from if you've always lived in a Christian, uh, known a Christian life. Whereas I'm like, oh man, this Jesus is so amazing, I wish I'd met him earlier. Um, so, I wonder how you first met Jesus. I have to admit, I love hearing people's stories of how they came to faith. It is just, just makes my heart sing when I hear, like Nikki's story this morning. You go and talk to Ruth about how like, they've been working in both Nikki and her husband Keith's life, it was incredible. For me, there are three key moments. The first, I remember I'm staying up late one night. I'm on a camp bed in a, in a brown and orange sleeping bag, as you do. Uh, and uh, in my nan's flat, I'm 11 years old. And my nan has given both me and my sister, like, these, one of these little, you know, white kind of christening Bibles, you know, that kind of like gold around the edges, and it's all sweet and lovely. And I am there, and for some reason I've picked it up, and I'm starting to read Luke's gospel, and I cannot put 
it down. I am 11 years old and I'm finding this Jesus guy so compelling. And I remember, I'm, it's, I mean, I'm, it's your classic kind of like, you know, sleeping bag up, torch inside because you should have been asleep like hours ago. And I've got to Luke 23 and that's the crucifixion of Jesus. And I've got tears running down my face because I've met this guy, Jesus, in these pages and they're killing him. And I can't understand why this guy is incredible. He's innocent. I'm so incensed at the injustice of it all. How can they kill this guy? They are so thick. Fast forward a few uh, years and I'm now in year nine. At school, second key moment, a schools team from Basingstoke Community Church have come in to my school and they're running a six-week club called Christian Focus. I mean, what a name. That's the way to entice teenagers to come along, isn't it? And anyway, I'm there because it does mean that you don't have to stand outside in the rain on a Tuesday break time. And um, I'm hearing more about this Jesus guy. And again, it sticks. He is compelling. He is so charismatic. He is amazing. The six weeks end and a couple of Christian teachers in my school decide to carry it on. So there I am with five other pupils out of a population of a thousand, but I'm hearing about Jesus. Fast forward a few months, key moment number three, and my mum gets invited to Buttskin by her work colleague, Sheila. There's a little bunch of Christians at the bank that she works at. Sheila, crazy lady called Megan Thatcher, and uh, my eventual sister-in-law, Chris, and they've been working on her for a few months now. So she goes to Buttskin. And two weeks later, I am in the back of Sheila's green Volvo 340. It's funny the things your mum remembers, isn't it? Heading to this funny-shaped building. And I meet Jesus. Like, I meet Jesus in this place. Like, I walk into the doors that were there. Um, and I have an encounter with the Holy Spirit in such a powerful way that today I still struggle to describe it. I meet him. And that's it. I give my life to him. And it's never been the same since. So I wonder how it was for you. Here in this passage, we see how 3,000 people started their adventure with Jesus. 3,000 people. I mean, can you imagine it? We will definitely need more chairs. But imagine what that could look like. Imagine. What we see here is that when the Spirit falls upon their disciples, their top priority is to share the gospel. It's not to keep it to themselves and have a kind of warm little fuzzy thing in that upper room. Their immediate thing when it is to go and share, to not keep it to themselves but share it with anyone, with everyone who would listen. To be witnesses that God commanded them to be. Remember that back in chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus' words says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. And we see it happening right here in these uh, pages. The Spirit empowers them, and it shifts their focus from themselves in that room out out into the world that is in desperate need of the good news that is theirs. And here's the thing. The spirit that empowers Peter to stand up in front of that crowd and the apostles on that first day is the same spirit that is in you and me if you are a Christian. And we have that same command to be witnesses to what God has done in our lives. And it's our heart as elders this term, this year, to see the Spirit releasing in us that same urgency, that same passion to share the good news with those around us too. That we would see new people, like Nikki, she'd be the first fruits 
of people coming to faith into the kingdom of God, meeting Jesus and being transformed by him. So let's get into the passage, into the sermon from Peter. The first, I didn't realize this, it never twigged me before if I did the study, it's the first distinctly Christian message in history. He starts by quoting the prophet Joel. Now, you may think he's choosing that quote because it relates to the spirit being poured out. And you'd be right, kind of. Um, You see, there's so much of scripture. It's way deeper than that. I love, I just love how beautifully God has crafted scripture, that there is layer upon layer upon layer of meaning. It's just, he's so clever. Um, Peter's chosen this passage because actually, who is he addressing? We heard it last week, isn't he? He's addressing God-fearing Jews of every nation. Check back in verse 5 of verse 2. Now, what you need to know is at this point in history, God-fearing Jews, they're all praying, they're all waiting, they're all longing for the Messiah. More than that, a God-fearing Jew at that time is assuming that they would be the generation to see the Messiah come. The generation to see the promises of the prophets fulfilled. The last days that Joel speaks about are not the end times that we often assume, but a general term for the time to come. The time when promises would be fulfilled and when the promise of the Messiah is like, that's like promise number one that they're waiting for. So this audience that Peter addresses, they are believing that they would be the generation to see those last days, to see the moment that's been prophesied, the moment when all their hopes would be realized. All their dreams would come true when the good times would finally start. And so this is, the, this is where Peter's audience are at. And so this is where Peter, where he preaches the gospel, he starts from where they are. He starts from where his audience is and he uses that to lead them to Jesus. This is a, a a generation, a culture that is soaked in scripture, soaked in the stories and the Psalms and the prophecies of the Hebrew Bible. And so Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, he starts there. They're searching for a savior in the scriptures. And so empowered by the spirit, Peter shows them the savior in the scriptures, that Jesus has been there all along. It may not be the Messiah they're expecting, but it is the savior they're waiting for. He strips away their misconceptions and their assumptions. And he fiercely, he fearlessly declares, look, here is good news. Your Messiah is here and it is Jesus. We see it time and time again, don't we, in the pages of the Bible. The gospel meeting people where they are. In their pain, in their brokenness, in their suffering, in their confusion, their isolation and rejection, in their self-righteousness and their hard-heartedness. It meets a woman caught in adultery and shame. And the gospel gives her compassion and dignity. He meets the lame and the blind and the deaf and the mute in their suffering. And he brings freedom and healing. It meets Matthew and Zacchaeus in their social isolation. And he brings friendship. It meets Saul on the road of Damascus and brings transformation. It meets Mary and Martha at a tomb and he brings resurrection. It meets the crowd here on Pentecost in their searching and brings answers. It met a selfish, jealous, lonely 11-year-old girl on the pages of a christening Bible one weekend in her nan's flat in London. 
and it led her on an encounter in this very building, and that changed her forever. Praise God. Let's move on. Because what I also notice in this passage is that the gospel not only meets us where we are, it also meets us no matter who we are. You see, Peter doesn't mince his words in this sermon. Look back at verse 23. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. Peter looks at the crowd and says, you killed your Messiah. That is a brave statement to make in front of a crowd that not two months ago had yelled, crucify him. Whereas a couple of months ago, Peter was scared even to admit to a servant girl that he even knew Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes and releases in him the gospel and he stands before the crowd. Doubtless there are some in there who had shouted, crucify him. Doubtless there's in the crowd some of those very religious leaders who had handed Jesus over to the Romans. And he declares, you've killed the Messiah. Peter, now full of the Spirit, speaking words of truth with power and conviction and courage. What a difference the Holy Spirit has made. And yet the invitation of the gospel is made to these very people. Peter says later in the passage in verse 39 that this promise of forgiveness, the gift of the Holy Spirit is for them, for their children, for all who are far off. And guys, this excites me so much. The Spirit of God releases the gospel and it meets people no matter who they are. You can be a stinky fisherman like Peter. You can be a sex worker like Mary Magdalene. You can be a rabbi like Joseph of Arimathea or a tax collector like Matthew. The gospel is for you. You can be Greek like Luke, a Roman like Paul, a swanky city dweller or a country bumpkin. The gospel is for you. You can be part of the in crowd, on the very edges of the margins. You can have it all together or you can be just about hanging on. The gospel is for you. No matter who you are, the gospel is for you. You could have shouted, crucify him. You could have handed Jesus over to be killed. The gospel is for you. doesn't matter who you are or what you've done. The gospel is for you. Are you hearing this? Just take it in for a moment. Let that sit with you for a second or two. God, the one who knows all about you, who knows every thought, who knows every action, who knows every attitude, every good intention, and every mistake, every kindness, and every selfishness, every encouraging word that you've said that's built someone up, and every hurtful word you've said that's torn someone down, everything people can see, and everything you keep hidden everything that we're proud of and everything that we are ashamed of, God knows. There are no secrets with him. We can pretend and look good in front of other people and think, I'm a shirt because so, I'm going to be up here. But God knows. We're so good at pretending and we can keep that act up for a while, but he knows our hearts. He knows the truth about us. Peter could have said those words, you put him to death. 
about me too, about us too. Because the truth of the gospel is we have all messed up. As the words of the hymn says, it was my sin that held him there. You can't escape that fact, just as those in Jerusalem couldn't escape it. But the gospel, the good news, the best news is that despite knowing all of that, God loves us extravagantly. And he forgives us completely. And he welcomes us and longs to give us the gift of the Spirit to bring us into his freedom, into his light, into his family, into his life. I mean, come on. Come on. Where's the amen? That's an amazing thing. No wonder people flocked to the gospel. I don't know whether there were 3,000 in the crowd and they were all declaring their allegiance to Jesus in that moment, like one mass bending of the knee, or whether it's more like Philip and Nathaniel or the Samaritan woman where people heard it and they rushed off and they said, you will never believe what I've just heard, come. And they brought them back and it was kind of a cumulative total over the day. All I know is that the message of Peter, the good news of Jesus, had a power that changed those disciples that changed those first followers, and it can change us too. You just have to see, read on the next verse from our passage. Really sorry, Matt Skirton, if I'm stealing any of your thunder for next week, but Will did it to me, so I'm just passing it on. Um, Spoilers, spoilers for next week. They are transformed and empowered by the Spirit to live extraordinary lives of generosity, of faith, of joy and love and kindness, And always outwards, always outwards towards others. And that's one of the things that's really struck me most and has really challenged me as I've been reading and pondering on this passage, and there's quite a lot to ponder if I'm honest, is am I living this gospel outwards towards others? How good am I at sharing the good news that I have been given And if I'm honest with you, that is, I am pretty rubbish, (laughs) totally rubbish at it. And I don't know if anyone else here feels that this morning. Is it just me? It could be. Um, But I look at Peter and I look at his courage there, the power in his words, and it can feel really intimidating. But as I was sat here yesterday, or not here, at my dining room table at home, uh, feeling if I'm honest, pretty ashamed as I'm writing these words going, I can never live up to these. Um, God reminded me of two verses, two verses that have really challenged and encouraged me in equal measure. You see, when I look back at my own journey to faith, and when you look back on yours, each of us has been introduced to Jesus by someone else. The kingdom of God grows through relationships. If I look back, If it wasn't for my mum saying, do you fancy coming along to this place? If it wasn't for Sheila and Megan and Chris. If it wasn't for Mr. Stewart, Mrs. Kingsford and the school's team from the community church. If it wasn't for my nan who quietly prayed for our family for like decades um, without us even knowing and who gave me that Bible, I wouldn't be standing here. You have the same story. Someone told you about Jesus. It might have been a friend, it might have been a co-worker, it might have been your parents, it might have been 
a, a member of your family. It might have been someone down at the gym. It might have been someone um, inviting you to an Alpha course. Is that while they're doing your hair? It might have been someone saying, come along to a youth group on a, on a Friday night. There's kind of football and free, free drinks or whatever. You are in those chairs this morning on this adventure we call faith. You're in the kingdom, forgiven and free. Yes, of course, because of Jesus, that's a given. But also because of someone else. Someone who took the risk, who obeyed the Spirit's nudge, and who took seriously the words of Jesus when he said, you'll be my witnesses. In Romans chapter 10, Paul, one of those other early followers, writes this. But what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith that we proclaim. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. As scripture says, anyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. The same Lord is Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Gorgeous, isn't it, that bit? And then there's this verse. How then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can they believe in a Jesus we've never told them about? Church, this is what we need to be doing. How can our friends, how can our families, how can our neighbours come to know Jesus if we don't introduce him? And I know many of us will be sitting there going, I can't do that. I can't be Sarah Hunt and invite 20,000 people to Alpha. Just, that's not me. I can't be an evangelist. I can't stand and preach to someone. I can't, I can't do it. Friends, I feel it too. But this is where the second of the verses comes in. And it's not the verse you may think I'm going to, because you're probably sat there going, oh yeah, she's going to go to Philippians 4.13, isn't she? Yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And you're right, I did think of going there, but actually, I was drawn back to Acts 1 and verse 8. For I will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes, and I will be his witness. Because here's the thing, the same Spirit that empowered those first disciples the same spirit that gave Peter the courage and the words. If you're a Christian today, that same spirit lives in you, lives in me, and is longing, is longing to work in us, is longing to give us the courage and the words to step out in faith to those around us. We just need to be willing to say yes and open our mouths. Our friends, our family, our neighbours, our community, this nation and this world is depending on us. Shall we stand?
Now, there may be some here this morning who have yet to take that step of faith, have yet to do what Peter and Paul preached, to repent and declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and to believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. And if that is you this morning, can I plead with you, don't let the opportunity pass you by. There is life and hope and grace. There is freedom and forgiveness and love. There is a person called Jesus who is waiting for you. And all you need to do is take a step of faith this morning. So if that is you, then I would strongly encourage you today. Why don't you talk to the person you came with this morning? Why don't you give them the joy of praying with you? Ask for Ruth. It is a joy and just a very special experience to pray for someone and help them to come into the kingdom. And if you're not sure, why don't you ask them to tell you their story of faith? What drew them to Jesus? Was it worth it? They'll say yes, because it so is. And if you've got no one to pray with, then come and find me. I am more than happy to chat with you this morning and pray with you. And I suspect there are lots of us here this morning, me included, who long to have more courage and the right words to speak to others about Jesus. So I'm going to pray for us this morning. Father, I want to thank you that we have a wonderful story to tell. I mean, my word, what a story. A story of a God who knows us, who knows the whole of us and loves us extravagantly unconditionally, sacrificially, a story of forgiveness, a story of hope, a story of life and life in abundance. And I want to thank you that we are part of your kingdom, part of your family, and you've lavished so much goodness upon us. You give us so many good gifts, and none of them more amazing, more astounding, more beautiful than the gift of your Holy Spirit. Your Spirit that chooses to dwell inside us. Your Spirit that empowers us and enables us. Oh Lord, would you clothe us in power from on high this morning? Would you come by your Spirit, Lord God, and make us bold in proclaiming the gospel, the good news, in sharing our story. Lord, that we would know the courage of those early followers of Jesus. Oh, and Father, would you give us the joy and the privilege of seeing friends and family, neighbours and colleagues coming to faith, meeting Jesus and being transformed by him. And Father, right now, I want to ask that you would place on our hearts a name, a name of someone you want us to speak to this week. That we would be praying for them. That God, you'd open our eyes to see the opportunities that there are to share our story.
Because we don't have to be massive theologians, God. You don't ask us all to be that. Or we don't have to be um, flawless preachers. You don't ask us all to be that. And definitely not me. You just ask us to be witnesses. You just ask us to tell people what we have seen, what we have experienced, our story. So Father, open our eyes to see the opportunities this week to share our story with that name that you've given us. And Spirit of God, we pray that you would move now. You'd move in the hearts of those we know and love and in our own hearts this morning. And God, all of this, not for ourselves, but for you, only for you, for your glory, for your fame, for your renown, all for you, Jesus. And in our Saviour's name we pray. Amen. Amen.